I'm not in the spoiler business. In fact, today is that whole May the 4th thing, but I've never seen Star Wars, so I've told you to avoid that around me all day because I don't even want Star Wars spoilers. But if I could tell you who's going to win the 2023-24 National Championship, would you be interested? Because as it turns out, we found out who's going to win today. So gigantic spoiler alert. That's what I should have titled the show, actually. We are jam-packed high atop an overpopulated downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I cannot stress to you how big the sea of humanity is 14 stories below us right now. Janet Jackson across the street in mere moments. Taylor Swift the next three nights over at Nissan. Like 47 festivals in town. Also, like two or three dozen high school graduations. And there, and there we are, right there, plopped in the middle of it. Bradley struggled mightily to find parking today, but he did. And then he jumped over a couch. If you haven't seen it, check out my Instagram story, at Josh. I'm happy to have you with us because we've got a jam-packed show. It's Thursday, May 4th, the year of our Lord, 2023, and yet I'm sitting here telling you, next January, I know what color confetti could be raining down in Houston. I think that's where the title game is. We're going to talk about that. And how? What is the methodology? What is the science behind that? So we've got that. we got transfer portal intel. We, we have some very peculiar things to talk about in the transfer portal. Also, some very peculiar Odds and ends coming out of the Big 12. They're kind of trying to overhaul their approach out there. Now, I don't blame them because they do have to try something different than, let's say, what the Big 10 does. They're going a different route, I would say, than the Big 10 and SEC for sure. Also, Brian Kelly, uh, we do this about once a year. Someone asks us about something that's disrespectful that's not actually disrespectful at all. And this year, it just so happens that it came out of Brian Kelly's mouth. So we'll talk about all that. Aiken, South Carolina tuned in. Circleville, Ohio, El Paso, Texas, Marina Del Rey, California, not only my favorite George Strait song, but also a place that they are watching us tonight. Thank you so much. I do have one quick little update for you. We were at Penn State a couple of weeks ago, ultra successful visit up there with James Franklin and his entire staff. Uh, The Pate State Speaker Series will be opening chapter two in the next couple of weeks, we are going to be on the road next week scouting our locations and whatnot and getting our ducks in a row. That doesn't mean we're going to Oregon, by the way. That's not code. Or are we? And we will let you know. So I, I expect an announcement next week. Think of it as us being in the portal. We'll announce it when we're ready to announce it. Now, as for announcements, the Big 12 had one a little while ago. Colin, that was a bad endpoint for you. So you can just endpoint it here. The Big 12... They let you know last year that, hey, we got a new media rights deal. Why is that significant? Well, because the Pac-12 hasn't told you that, right? So the Big 12's got a whole lot going on. In fact, the Big 12, over this past week, had their meetings out, I think in Arizona, somewhere like that. Anyway, where it was, was not important. What was said was very important. Dare I say, the Big 12 is sort of trying to show us what the future of college football broadcasts will look like. Now, there are some things that I'm very old school about. So you may see my... You may, you may see me twist and turn. If you're listening on podcast, you may see some hesitation or hear some hesitation in the words coming out of my mouth. Don't pay attention to me. I'm old school. Brett Yormark is doing what he should be doing out there, even if I don't happen to like it. So I am very upfront in telling you my objection to some of these things is just purely out of personal interest. And I think I'm in the minority on most of this stuff. So what am I talking about? What, what is all this? It should have been at the end. It's at the beginning. Well. Here's the first thing you need to know. Okay, the Pac-12 and the Big 12, they've sort of been in the same boat for a little while in a, in a few different lanes. So you know the SEC, they print money. The Big 10, they print money. They've got 
security and media deals and everything else in between. They're good. They're, they're just set. They're monsters. The Pac-12 is, as we speak, still trying to hammer out a media rights deal. The Big 12, to their credit, got ahead of them in line, and they did secure a media rights deal, far less per school per year if you're in the Big 12. But with OU and Texas going out the door, Brett Yormark, the new commissioner there, thought it to be in their best interest to just make sure we've got something. I have it on pretty good word that he also sat in those meetings with those television executives and said, you just wait. The Big 12 you're investing in is not going to be the Big 12 that you've necessarily watched over the last, what, decade. And it's not just because OU and Texas are leaving. We're going to be innovators. Because Brett Yormark comes from the world of innovation. He's not a career administrative bureaucrat or anything like that. So they've got very different attitudes as a result, the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Pac-12's got a big, giant question mark over their head right now, and the, and the Big 12, meanwhile, is out there innovating. It's like you're watching OU in Texas walk out the door, which is supposed to be a crowbar to their kneecaps, and instead, they, however you block a crowbar, they blocked the crowbar, and they said... Double deuces, goodbye. Give us 100 mil on your way out, by the way. You can leave early. We don't care. And now we're going to innovate. What innovation are we talking about? Well, this week, the Big 12 had some very important meetings. And I know if you're a Georgia fan or if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you may think, what does this have to do with me? Well, I'll tell you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be leading the show. I can promise you that. You watch college football broadcasts. They've looked pretty similar for a while, right? You've had some advancement, obviously, in terms of just the overall picture quality, but the actual functionality of the broadcast. You've got two or three people in a booth. You've got our buddies Cole Kublik and maybe Tom Luganbill down there on the sideline. Uh, but by and large, they're formatted the same way. And there are some things in the NFL or the NBA that you get there that you don't get in college. Now, we all know that just because they do it on the pro level does not mean yours truly here cares to see it at the collegiate level. But that's not a broad brush I paint with. There are exceptions to the rules. So anyway, we get to these meetings this past week, and Brett Yormark, the new commissioner out there, he is talking to pretty much everyone, and, and that's what these meetings are for. And he started talking about the future of the conference. And a couple of very, very interesting notes came out of this. The Houston Chronicle broke a lot of this. Um, SI, Ross Dellinger has been really good on this. Uh, our, our uncle Dennis, Dennis Dodd had some things this week. Brandon Marcello here at 24-7 Sports. And I'm trying to make sure that I attribute because what I'm about to read here is a hodgepodge from all of those entities because they were all out there. So Marcello has been good on this this week. Dellinger, Dodd, Houston Chronicle. I don't think I forgot anyone. Good grief if I didn't. Who else was there? So anyway, Expanding access, that was the first thing that they focused on. And what they're talking about when they say they're going to expand access, and, and to be clear, I'm not talking about the playoff or anything like that. I mean Big 12 broadcasts. So when Texas Tech is playing Baylor, what could you get that you didn't get in the past? Now I'm going to tell you what they talked about, and you can decide for yourself whether you like this or not. In-game coaching interviews, sort of like you see in the NBA. You know, you're going into the second quarter, and boom, all of a sudden, I've got, uh, I've got Quinn Snyder being interviewed. And then he also, he being Brett Yormark, talked about pre- and post-game locker room access. I despise that. But like I said at the beginning, ignore what I say. I, you might as well treat me as an 83-year-old dude sitting on the porch at a Cracker Barrel when it comes to this. I am so old school in my philosophy on this. So this is probably a good thing, even though I don't like it. 
Also, they are looking into miking players and coaches during the game. That I'm totally indifferent on. You can do that all you want to. I've got reasons why I feel the way I do about the locker room stuff. Anyway, here's a quote from Brett Yormark, 224-7 Sports, uh, courtesy of our Brandon Marcello. It was a long quote, but I boiled it down to this. He said, we want to bring our fans closer to what we do and give them a peek under the hood. And all the other professional leagues are doing it. Not to say we're antiquated, but it's time for us to be a little bit more progressive and we would like to take a leadership position in that area. Now, this was coming. As soon as they hired this dude, this was coming because that is the world that he comes from. I will give you my reactions. First, let's start with the whole... um, the whole expanding access thing. I have never been a fan of open locker rooms. I'm not a fan of it in pro sports. Now, I work in an industry where when I say that, I always get shouted down because I work with a bunch of journalists. I don't claim to be one myself, but I work with journalists and they will bemoan anytime I speak about this. I will get text about this tonight. How could you say we deserve less access? I don't care if you talk to guys at a podium. I don't care if they make 27 of them available to you after a game. My personal feel, perhaps it's the former athlete in me, my personal feel has always been everything else is public now. You, you have a microscope on you uh, Sunday through Friday. Uh, practices are open, at least to a certain extent, most places. Saturday, you're on the field. They're watching you. There's one place. There's one area left that's a little bit sacred. And you know, once you get through those doors, you can, uh, you can loosen up the tie a little bit. You know, you can unwind just a touch. You can let some things come out of your mouth that you couldn't let come out of your mouth in the public spotlight. And that's the locker room. So the locker room's always been a little bit sacred to me. I'm not a fan of them being open, but I'm also the one who sits here and tells you, this is entertainment. It's not the football business. It's the entertainment business. I know. In the interest of avoiding full-on hypocrisy on this show, I know I say that all the time. And so if we've got to open locker rooms, then go for it. I don't think that's something you'll necessarily see tomorrow in the SEC, but the Big 12 has to go about things a different way than the SEC does. Also, there was another thing that Brett Yormark talked about, and him talking about it means they are way down the road in making this happen. They're going to play games in Mexico. They're taking games to Monterey and Mexico City, and they're going to do it as early as 2025. He talked about it being a very important market. Uh, He talked about it being an event capital, and he's right in both of those areas. I'm going to give you another old school warning here. I've spoken about this as recently as like last month on the Late Kick Extra podcast. Someone asked me what I thought about international college football games, and I don't like them. And it's not just because I have personal preference. I don't think it's good business. In this particular vein, I think they're wrong. They're right to try and innovate. I have never thought college football translates well to international markets. What I didn't say there is college football as a product won't appeal to people in international markets. I said taking the game physically to international markets doesn't work. And I'll tell you why. The NFL might as well be played in a television studio with 80,000 seats in there. They could play that anywhere. Outside of Lambeau Field, there are a few places in the NFL in terms of venue. Arrowhead Stadium, where no, you couldn't duplicate that anywhere. But a lot of it is rinse and repeat. Pro stadiums do not have a fraction of the life that college stadiums do. As a result, it doesn't matter if the Jaguars are playing in London or playing in Jacksonville. No one cares. And it's the highest level football competition in the world. 
that's what appeals. TCU football is not the highest level football competition in the world. And you can take it to Mexico City or Monterey or you can put it in Fort Worth and it's going to be the same product. The difference is what appeals about college football, what's always made college football the spectacle, is the game day environment. I have spoken to you about how the NFL action is really what's happening on the field. The college action is what's happening on the field, and that's the beginning. And then it's what's happening around the field. And then it's what even happens outside the venue. That stuff right there is like a college football snow globe. And you shake it up every Saturday, and you get pageantry and tradition and nostalgia and all of what comes with playing a game on campus, and it just swirls around on TV for four hours. You take the players and the officials and the game, and you put it in Mexico City, you're not taking college football to Mexico City, is my point. So I know what the Big 12 is trying to do. I admire the approach. I don't think that in particular is going to yield nearly the kind of dividend that they think it's going to. But again, I do get why they have to do it. Uh, They have to try a different approach because there's a gap. There's a really big gap. Greg Sankey doesn't have to worry about this. Okay, the Big Ten doesn't have to worry about this. But the Pac-12 will have to worry about it. The Big 12 does have to worry about it. The ACC kind of has to sort of worry about this. It reminds me a little bit of what we're seeing at Colorado right now with Dion. Dion walks in the door, and he has to do things a totally different way. And you could look at him and say, oh, man, Kirby Smart would never do that. Of course he wouldn't. Kirby's the head coach at Georgia. He's the head coach, Dion's the head coach of Colorado. One of them is the map, and the other's barely on the map. They just went 1-11 last year. Well, in the Big 12, if you are trailing, you know, if you're, if you're set to make 32 mil per year, and the folks in the Big 10 are set to make 67 mil per year, that's a problem. Per team, by the way. Per team, per year. They're making more than twice what you're making. Indiana makes more than twice what any member institution in the Big 12 is making just because they have a different sticker on their helmet. You got to try different things. And the other, the other part to remember, just like we talked about the other day, we're entering this college football expanded playoff era, and one of my big gripes is we're putting this auto-conference championship bid in there for half a dozen of them, half a dozen of the highest-ranked conference champions, and you've got the Big Ten and the SEC pulling away from the rest of college football in every discernible metric, and you got OU and Texas leaving the Big 12. And you got USC and Southern Cal at, or USC and UCLA at least, leaving the Pac-12. You, you got to sit here and ask yourself, is whatever comes out of those conferences as the conference champ really even going to be viewed as viable? Viable enough to be taken in the same breath of seriousness as what the SEC produces or as the Big Ten produces. Now, I saw someone the other day, cannot remember the channel, cannot remember the guy's name, which I hate to do because I... I, um, you deserve attribution and credit, but someone talked about the segment we did the other night where I said, I don't like the auto bid process because I do not like that you could have an extremely watered down conference and because you win it, you're just automatically going to be included in a playoff. Well, this guy goes back and he looks at the past few conference champs and he said, even if conferences are watered down, the champion these conferences have been producing have usually been still ranked pretty high. That's not my point, brother. Yes, because you have to dodge about half a dozen fewer landmines per year. Therefore, you have a smaller number in that L column. That doesn't necessarily mean you've earned anything or deserve to be taken in the same breath of seriousness as someone 
who's who's the four seed down in the Big Ten or the SEC, but played like five of the top 13 teams in the country this year. You're going to rack up a few losses. And if you don't have to play that schedule, you will remain a little bit more unscathed. That was the whole argument against UCF back in the day. It wasn't that they're not a good team. It wasn't that they couldn't win, maybe, hypothetically. It was, what challenges did they have to go through to get to that undefeated mark relative to what some of these other schools did? So what, what kind of challenge collectively is your conference presenting? And this, that's a whole other conversation, but that's not something immediately that these conference commissioners can control. What they can control is exactly what Brett Yormark is trying to change for the better right now. So in, in general terms, I salute the attempt. There are some things I like, some things I don't like. Tough. Suck it up would be my advice to myself. And then you enter into the realm of having a conversation with yourself and doing it live. And it makes no sense. So we'll wrap it there. Uh, Colin, I think this is a really good time. In fact, my notes say, go ahead and take your first allergy-induced cough. So we'll do it right now. And there we go. That's a good point for it. I teased you a little while ago, immunity. I teased you a little while ago, and I said, look, I just think we know who's going to win the national championship. And some of you don't believe me. And shame on you. Absolutely shame on you. Why would I lie? It's May. Why would I lie about having such information? But I walked into the office today and I realized, producer Jesse, I don't know what time he got here today, but he said, it's over. It's done. We might as well drop the confetti and move on to 2024. We might as well expand the playoff because this last year of four teams, we've already figured out who's going to win the title. I said, really, tell me more. Give me the science. Now, what have we learned? We just went through the NFL draft. We watched the playoff every year. There are some things, some very, very obvious things that are not going to surprise anyone. Even if you're a casual amongst us, even this will make sense to you. One thing we keep seeing when it comes to the playoff and teams that make the playoff and then the NFL draft is, and get ready for this shocking headline, college football playoff teams, as it turns out, are the teams getting the most guys drafted in the NFL collective gasps all around. And if my science only went that deep, then it would be a shame that we're littering this fine show with, with that low caliber and information uh, tool. But no, 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 we're going to go much deeper than that. I'm not doing two immunities in the same segment, by the way. So 14, now here, here's a good stat. 14 of the last 16 college football playoff teams followed that playoff with being top five in overall players drafted. And you may think, oh, so the exceptions are, you know, the TCUs of the world, right? No, TCU included. TCU had eight guys drafted this past year or this past couple of weeks ago. And they played in the national championship last year. So even TCU was within that realm of they go to the playoff and then they finish top five having the most guys drafted. It's, it's pretty well correlated. And I don't think that the NFL is just sitting there waiting to see who makes the playoff and saying, all right, we'll just draft everyone off that team, Philadelphia notwithstanding. So then we dive a little bit deeper, and we go to the last four drafts in total. And I just wanted to know, Jesse, hit me with it. Who's had the most guys drafted? Rounds one through seven. Who's had the most guys drafted? Georgia leads the way. This is over the last four seasons. If you're watching on YouTube, you already know 
the surprise team at number two. But if you're listening on podcast, who has had the second most players drafted in the past four seasons? I'll even tell you it's a team from the SEC West. Now you really think it's Bama. It's LSU. 37 players. Bama's close behind with 36 players. That surprised me. I got to be real with you. That surprised me. And then you got Michigan and Ohio State, each with 32. I think that surprises some people. Now, this isn't just first round. It's rounds one through seven, obviously. Uh, You also round out this list with Penn State, Florida. This is me holding my tongue. Swamp 24-7, that's me holding my tongue. Because I'm told I always dunk on Florida at any opportunity. This would be a good time to tell you Florida's the only team on this list that's had two losing seasons in the last four. I could do that, but I'm not doing it. Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Clemson, by the way, they round out the top 10 of schools with the most players drafted in the last four years. So I said, well, Jesse, anecdotally, that list makes a good point. Georgia, yeah, they've obviously been really good. And Bama, they've obviously been really good. LSU, mixed bag, but really good last year. So here's what we found out. Out of that list of 10 teams, the teams with the most draft picks over the last four years, five of the top eight have had at least one losing season in the last four years. As I mentioned, Florida's had two losing seasons in the last four years. So this is not some slam dunk, airtight case for you be on this list, you're going to be in the playoff. But what we didn't do, what, what websites cannot do, that we can do is we can look into the future. So I told Jesse, because he's very excited about having all this research at his disposal. And I said, but what good does this do if we don't think forwardly with it? And Jesse said, what do you mean? I think he scratched his head while he said it. Is that, am I remembering that right, Jesse? It's pretty much the way it went. Give or take a few ums. I said, hey, uh, mock draft season is year round now, right? We don't take an off season. And neither do like Ryan Wilson and the mock draft community guys out there. They just mock and mock and mock. That's all they do. And so what we have at our disposal, and you got to follow me here because this science is going to get really, really complicated. We already have the mock drafts for next year. Not one, not two. We got several of them. So I had producer Jesse take a few mock drafts, put them in the hopper, spin that hopper around, aggregate that bad boy. And you know what we know? We already know. And this is airtight, folks. We already know who's going to have the most first-round draft picks, most overall draft picks. And so why wait until January? I can tell you right now, not only, not only do we have a preeminent favorite to win the college football playoff national championship, but we have an overwhelming favorite to win the 2023 national championship. And that is by looking at the team that is slated to have the most first-round picks. Why do we care about that? Because the team with the most first-round picks over the last six years has won the title every year. Jesse, who's it going to be? Ohio State's going to win the national championship this year. And the reason I say that is because the mock draft community is telling me with confidence, 15. 15, when we aggregate all these mock drafts combined. Um, They average five slated first-round draft picks. Five right now. So 15 out of the... Jesse, what is that? Like every mock draft you looked at, there were 15 total. So five is the average, right. And then Bama's got three up there on average. 
that's not surprising. It does not surprise you to hear Ohio State and Alabama. I'm going to get back to Ohio State in a second. But this is where it really gets fun. But you cannot argue with science, people. Don't you do it. Penn State's number three. Of course they are. And guess who's number four? Is it Georgia? No. Is it LSU? No. Is it USC? No. It's Washington with 2.3 averaged out projected first-round draft picks. It should be noted that Penn State, Washington, and Texas are all tied. But for the sake of calamity, I put Washington up there at four. Uh, Go back to Ohio State for just a second, because I'm going to say the same thing about Texas later in the show. You don't think that's going to happen, do you? I know you guys like the back of my hand. Really, I know you a lot better than the back of my hand, because if you think about it, who wastes a lot of time looking at the back of their hand? Only psychos do that. I don't think you guys have the faith in Ohio State that the science does. You are doubting science tonight. Did whomst amongst you thought that it would come to this on this evening here in early May? But Ohio State, the mock draft community is telling you as plain as day, they're going to win the title this year. Vegas has them with the fourth best overall odds. Yes, you heard that right. Fourth best overall odds. Michigan has not so quietly crept into the catbird seat. They're the favorite to win the Big Ten this year. Georgia's the favorite to win it all. Bama's number two. Michigan's number three. Ohio State's number four. There's LSU at five. What do we think about this? Do you think Ohio State's good enough at offensive tackle? Do you think Kyle McCord will go wire to wire as the starter? Will Devin Brown take over? Will Devin Brown just win the job outright? We know they've got the depth in the backfield. We know they got the depth at quarterback. We know they've got the hungriest coaching staff probably in any sport in America, but especially college football. I am looking forward to this. I, I don't know what my prediction is going to be, but I, I expect very big things from the Buckeyes this year. And hey, so does the science. The end. Colin, time to cough again. At this point, there is a tickle in my throat that has tickled away all day. And I cough so much that I've been afraid that I was going to go horse before the show. And who knows, I may still go horse. Let's take a sip from the chalice just to be safe. And I encourage all you to do the same. Just like I encourage you to visit our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. We are slated, and I do mean slated in all lowercase. We are slated to play a softball doubleheader tomorrow night. It's supposed to rain intensely. And if you think that's bad news for us, imagine spending like $2,200 of your money, of your parents' money, to head over to Nissan Stadium and see Taylor Swift tomorrow night, and then you just get soggy. But anyway, we'll probably get rained out. They've got umbrellas for that at Academy Sports and Outdoors. If we don't get rained out, they've got all of the other equipment we need at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Think about what I just said. No matter what nature throws at me tomorrow, Academy Sports and Outdoors has me covered. Now, some of you don't play softball. Some of you are not going to the Taylor Swift concert. Some of you just want to go camping this week, and you may want to do some grilling while you're there. An unnamed employee within our midst here, not my staff, but within our midst here, purchased a grill a couple of weeks ago and had the audacity to tell me when I asked them if they bought it from Academy. I didn't know Academy has grills. Don't let that be you, people. Don't, don't be the guy or girl 
who is the last at the party to know that Academy Sports and Outdoors not only carries grills, several brand names of grills. You're going to buy them anyway. Buy them at Academy. If you don't want to go glamping, if you want to go old school, rugged outdoors, sleep in a tent, just like the cavemen did it, with a few more luxuries and trappings, I'll grant you, Coleman Grill, for example, or Coleman uh, Light, Academy's got you covered there too. They got everything you need. So if you can't get there in person, academy.com is your hookup. They always take care of us. We really, really appreciate the uh, long-lasting partnership that we've had with Academy Sports and Outdoors. They're watching us in Albany, Georgia, the Bronx, New York, and Flemington, New Jersey, which reminds me, Jesse, I don't even think I told you this. New York has quietly slipped into the top 10 for most overall viewership in markets for Late Kick. Atlanta's number one, for the record. We have exploded in Dallas. Thank you, guys. But New York, New York, and I'm, I don't even think it's because of the transient nature of the town. I just really think born and bred authentic New Yorkers have finally decided college football's for me. And you'll be hard-pressed to convince me otherwise. We have disrespect to talk about. It's that time of year. I thank you guys for being tuned in live. If you are, by the way, just go ahead and like the video. You know you want to. Go ahead and do it. All right. You know what? I'm going to take another sip from the chalice because that is how much I have to prepare myself mentally for one of the words on the screen here. I can't believe we still do this. All right. Um, Rick hit us up from Plains, Georgia, home of Jimmy Carter. He said, thoughts on Brian Kelly disrespecting Nick Saban and Alabama in front of LSU fans. I can't believe we still do this. I said it once, I'll say it again. Disrespect. I don't know what I've told you in the past is the most overused term in college football or in all of sports, but disrespect is way, way up there. Disrespect. What did Brian Kelly dare say? What did this man have the audacity to say about Nick Saban? Well, he said, speaking at a, a booster function or event, and get ready for this. It hasn't been edited for language. I'm just delivering what exactly he said. Here we go. <clears throat> Brian Kelly speaking at a touchdown club. I love the environment of a college stadium. I love coming out on that field. I love beating Alabama. It's at this point you may think to yourself, oh, there must be more. They must have a second slide. There must be more to the quote. He hasn't gotten to the disrespectful part yet. Oh, I have. I love beating Alabama. That's it. At least according to Rick. Now, in fairness to Rick, Rick was not the only person who asked me about this. In fact, if Rick was the only person to ask about it, truthfully, I would have just answered him back privately and moved on about my business. Several of you, several of you from Athens to Atmore and everywhere in between in the great state of Alabama asked me about this disrespect. I, if that's disrespect, lock me up. If that's disrespect, I say 10 things worse than that. Every ping pong match I play against management, not even Colin or Jesse, against management. I, you should have heard me the other night. That's not disrespect. 98% of the things labeled disrespectful in sports aren't disrespect. The other 2%, I usually still don't care about. Uh, they've got the fifth best odds to win the national title this year. That's one reason Brian Kelly's confident. They are recruiting at an extremely high level. 
That's a reason he's confident. They are portaling at an extremely high level. They've got a quarterback room that's in as good a shape as it's been in several years post-Joe Burrow. That's a reason to be confident. Oh, and by the way, the whole thing about beating Alabama and loving to do it, I think part of the reason, follow me here, this could be a stretch for Brian Kelly saying that, is because I had Stats and Info do some digging, and it turns out they beat Alabama last year. Disrespect, I know. It's, it, facts tend to be very disrespectful when they are facts that don't sit well with you. But LSU did beat Alabama last year, friends. Brian Kelly did enjoy it, and he should. And I'll tell you this, this is what I always love to think about. For the people who get up in arms about these little nonsense issues, I always love to think about, in this case, Nick Saban. So Nick Saban is at the very heart of Alabama football. He is the head coach and the leader of the program. If Nick Saban were to listen to that quote, he would yawn, maybe even smile, maybe even chuckle, and move on. Now, that would be Nick Saban's way of processing it. But Nick Saban is not Rick. Nick Saban, I love you, Rick. I love you. There's a certain way, if you're new here, there's a certain way sometimes, since we're all just kind of family, that I will poke and prod some of you when you ask me questions. Some of you are repeat question askers, and I almost feel like I grew up with you, so I talk to you very much akin to the way I would talk to buddies if we were sitting over barbecue at lunch. Rick, this is not disrespect. I think you know that. I hope you know that. It's not disrespect. It's competition. And anytime someone claims that this sort of thing is disrespect, here's what I always ask you. What would you have had him say otherwise? This was not a press conference. This was not the ESPN car wash trip that they take every preseason. This was not SEC media days. This was Brian Kelly speaking to a bunch of LSU fans at an LSU Booster Club event. I have heard these head coaches speak at these events frequently. I haven't heard Kelly, or I guess I have now. I've heard Saban many times. I've heard Smart many times. I have, because of where I grew up, I've heard Auburn coaches pick one many times. Everybody talks like this. It's just a pep rally where you play like $40 for a plate and everyone pulls clothes out of their closet that they normally only wear to weddings or funerals and you go and you listen to a head coach talk for a little while and they get you all fired up and they say some things that a lesser man would think to be bulletin board material. It's just fun. It's just the way it is. Bruce Hornsby, that's just the way it is. So the other thing that I want to remind you Rick, I don't know if you fit this category, but one of the things I hear more than any other thing in college football is, I hate coach speak. What do you mean? Well, I hate when coaches won't speak their mind. I hate when they use the same baseless platitudes and cliches over and over again, and they're so guarded with information. We can't ever get authenticity out of them. That same person who claims that is the first person when a coach actually speaks his authentic mind to say, How dare he? The disrespect. Gasp. Get him out of here. Why? What did he say? He said he likes beating his arch rival. What else did he say? No, that's it. You thought that was disrespectful? Wait till I take you down and just walk you around the street of any major American city. Wait till I take you into any functioning, competitive uh, environment in an office building or sports or anything in between. It's just normal stuff, man. In fact, I would call that tame. I would almost, I would almost call it like Brian Kelly doing stand-up 
It's not, he probably didn't even say it with a serious face. It's just something you say. It's, it's the booster, it's the speaking circuit. Josh Heupel's doing it right now. I, I have not been to one of Josh Heupel's events, but they're doing the, Colin, what's it called? The, t- the Tennessee speaking trip. It's like uh, the Orange Caravan or something like that. Anyway, I guarantee you that Josh Heupel has been asked a time or two about that win over Alabama. That's the breaks, man. That's why you win the games. You win the games, you can say whatever you want to. I, I can virtually assure you of this. You won't hear that same phraseology from Brian Kelly when he's at the podium here in Nashville, Tennessee, in a few months for SEC Media Days. But in the meantime, talk as much as you want to. That's my approach. And I'm not even a head coach. I'm just the chancellor at Pate State. All right, let's move on. Uh, We've got, I know you think the portal's closed, and it is, but we still got stuff to talk about. (coughs) Thank you for bearing with me. So the portal spring window technically closed, but as the rules state, if you have entered the portal by the time the window closes, you can just hang out there. I think they have Fresca. You can go play Jenga. You can do whatever you want to. Eventually, you need to pick a school. But you don't have to do it just like that. And the reason I know that is because several names are still in there. Now, I got a classic good news, bad news situation going on in Fayetteville, Arkansas right now. Remember Varkey's Gums? Remember the tight end that I told you so much about out of North Texas? And he was, uh, he was an All-American in the conference there. And he was one of the premier tight end talents in the portal. And I told you it's a huge win for Arkansas to land him. And I was right. Except that Arkansas unlanded him. What does that mean, Josh? Well, it means he went there for like 11 days, and then rumor on the street is he wanted to take other trips. And the thing about getting kids out of the portal is most coaches aren't going for that. And uh, so Sam Pittman was among them. So Varquez Gums now is not an Arkansas Razorback. I don't even know if he got T-shirts up there. He was there so little time. So that 6'3", 230-pound tight end who had... 34 receptions for about 460 yards and five touchdowns in 2022. He's back on the market. That's the bad news for Arkansas. I do want to take that, and I want to glaze it over with some icing that tastes much better than that. Jaheim Thomas from Cincinnati, where they have just pumped out NFL guys and really high-level talents into the portal. He is an Arkansas Razorback now. 6'4", 245-pound linebacker, former four-star 70 tackles last year. I think that was third on the team. Six and a half tackles for loss. I think that was second on the team. So at least they got better defensively, if not at tight end. So the portal giveth and the portal taketh away, as Meemaw would say. And uh, Meemaw's got another saying that she would apply to this next pair of individuals that I need to talk to you about. And that is the quarterback situation in Auburn is as muddy as it can get right now. Jesse, by the way, as I stall, I need you to confirm for me that no news has broken in the last uh, 39 minutes since we've been on air, because as you know, this is my nightmare when we do live shows during transfer portal season. Someone's just going to announce while we're on the air. Okay, no news. It's not only a good Lone Star song from the 90s, it is the current state of affairs at Auburn. TJ Finley is in the portal. Peyton Thorne is being crystal balled to Auburn left and right. This is what Meemaw would call a classic... Lee County quarterback conundrum. We got one guy going out the door because he thinks one more guy is coming in the door. Peyton Thorne, of course, is in the portal from Michigan State, 
and I'm not even going to begin to retell you the story about what all went down in East Lansing that led to him going in the portal because the receiver who went in the portal because he didn't want to play with him was going in the portal. Therefore, since he's going to be in the portal and I lost my other top receiver to the NFL, I'm going in the portal. You're not okay. I'm not okay. But that's okay because no one's okay. The Michigan State portal story. Or is it? Because I've got an update that's a little more positive for Michigan State in a second. But anyway, back to the Lee County quarterback conundrum. It looks like Peyton Thorne is going to be the quarterback at Auburn. Or it looks like he's going to be a quarterback at Auburn. Now, I have seen Robbie Ashford be pretty vocal on the gram lately, saying, you guys are going to regret doubting me. I hope he's right for his sake. But it looks like Hugh Freeze, and it has sounded like Hugh Freeze needs at least another warm body in that quarterback room. And I think it's going to be Peyton Thorne. Now, Peyton Thorne has never been a guest on the show, but I impersonated him the other night. And I told you, and I'll tell you again, if Peyton Thorne were sitting here, he would tell you, if I'm healthy, I can be a very, very high level quarterback. 6'2", 210, got nearly 6,500 yards passing, 50 touchdowns, well, 49. Uh, Also, 24 interceptions. We do have to mention that over three seasons. We think that's going to happen. Several crystal balls are pouring in for that. So let's just wait and see. Now, in the interest of ending things on a good note for everyone we've spoken negatively of, let's talk about Michigan State. You know, we, we saw a couple of guys go in the portal the other day. We saw three of them, actually. And uh, one of them we just talked about, Peyton Thorne. Keon Coleman went in. We're going to talk about him in a second. But Charles Brantley, a corner, he went in the portal too. And then he withdrew his name. So Mel Tucker worked his magic there and at least pulled one potential loss out of the fire. I guess we're not going to end on such a positive note because I do still have to talk to you about Keon Coleman. Uh, This is a very big story to follow. You want to talk about the biggest remaining domino to me in the whole transfer portal picture here. It's Keon Coleman. Keon Coleman is a very good receiver. Out of Michigan State, went in the portal a couple of days ago. And let me tell you where he's got a visit set up. He's got a visit set up at Florida State. Coleman's every bit of 6'4", really big-bodied receiver. I've seen him in person before, absolutely fits his measurement bill. If he lands at Florida State, that will give them a trio of 6'4-plus receivers for a returning quarterback to throw the ball to. Because you got, you got Johnny Wilson there, Hakeem Williams, and if I add Keon Coleman to that mix, that is serious size, and not Clemson size either. There's versatility, uh, there, there's, there's maneuverability, there's speed, there's, there's a lot more than just a big body in those guys. And at the very least, there's more than that with Keon Coleman because we've seen him prove it. Former four-star in the 2021 cycle. And so, that's what we're watching there. I also need to mention to you, Caleb Brown, uh, before I get to the final point here, Caleb Brown, four-star receiver that was at Ohio State, he's committed to Iowa. He was the number 78 overall player in the class of 22. Iowa has looked around and they've said, well, if we can't necessarily match up with some of these teams in the Big Ten, we can go take as many pieces from them as we can. So they went and got McNamara, the quarterback from Michigan. They got Eric All, the tight end from Michigan, and they just got Caleb Brown, a wide receiver from Ohio State. And I mean this in all sincerity when I tell you it can't get worse offensively for him. It really can't. So good on Kirk and Brian Ferentz up there. 
Now, lastly, I want to mention to you something that didn't happen. Malik Murphy, quarterback who lit up the Texas spring game and is running with the twos out there, even though most people would have told you he was running with the threes in spring. Absolutely not. Malik Murphy, not so shockingly, got a ton of interest from, uh, as Chris Hummer reported today, multiple SEC teams, at least one Big Ten team, and at least one Pac-12 team. And that's interesting, of course, because Murphy was never in the portal. And I know that it shocked some of you to know a little bit of tampering. It's just some light tampering going on there with Malik Murphy. I know it shocks you. I may dishearten you. But yes, this is a, this is a dangerous world we live in. Well, Sark in Texas were able to keep him on board. That's no small task. And they were able to do that. That's a guy who could end up playing meaningful downs for Texas this year. Because if what happened last year with Quinn Ewers going down were to happen again this year, uh, Arch Manning's not the guy that's going to be on the field. That right there, Malik Murphy, that's the guy that's going to be on the field. Just like at Georgia, Carson Beck goes down. It's going to be Brock Vandergriff because you kept him on campus. Keeping these backup quarterbacks is obviously a huge deal. It's just a more rare feat to pull off this day and age. But I tweeted out last night uh, something that it was very coded because it had to be, because I can't mention names. But Murphy is absolutely one of them I was talking about when I said, this transfer portal season, I know it seemed wild, but if some of these collectives didn't step up and keep big names from moving, it would have been 10 times more wild. Malik Murphy was one of them. Murphy could have been on the move. The Texas folks stepped up and put together an NIL package that kept him on campus. And let me tell you something. Malik Murphy is not the biggest name that was held on to that very quietly was, was testing the waters out there. I'll leave it at that. So it's, it was thought that this was going to be a wild cycle and big names were going to be in there. And some of them were, but some of the bigger names that could have been in there weren't because collectives stepped up and they paid money to keep their best players. I guess in the NIL world, if we're going to exist in it, that's kind of sort of how it should work, shouldn't it? So there you go. I'm not done talking about Texas yet. Just a sip from the chalice because we have to transition because it's mood tracker season. Texas mood tracker time. What is the mood? Now, I have some very, very close personal contacts at Texas. And so when it's time to do the Texas mood tracker, I don't have to do anything more than text them. And so I texted one of my good, close contacts at Texas today, we'll call him Stanley. And I said, hey, hey, Stan, what would you say is the mood at Texas right now? He said, cautiously beyond optimistic. That was all. That was enough. That was good for me. Then he kept going and he said, we are walking a tightrope to Babylon, but it's a long fall to the pit of despair. So that's how they feel in Austin right now. Um, I've heard some people say something that I want to address. And they have said, at any mention of optimism for Texas, they've said, well, you know what history says. What does history say? Go on, go on, tell me. Thrall me. They say, well, history says Texas is an underachiever. History says Texas is going to choke. History, blah, blah, blah. Uh, here's the thing about history at Texas. It's two years old. 
Because history is only as relevant as your current coaching staff. What, what Charlie Strong did there has no bearing on what they can or can't do this year. What any of their past coaches have done. Tom Herman has no bearing on what this year's team can or can't do. So history is 2021 and 2022. And over that span, I saw them go from 5-7 and seven to 8-5. and five, And I saw them push Bama to within one point at home. And then I get to see them this year. So history, I don't know what it says to me other than they've gotten better over the past 24 months. They've gotten better. That's what history says. Nothing about history tells me that they can or can't win the Big 12 this year. So I get the cautious optimism. I would feel the same way. I don't know about this whole long fall to the pit of despair from Babylon, but if they say that's the mood, that's the mood. They are 19th in returning production. Both lines of scrimmage have improved I would say significantly, and that's been a multi-year process, especially on the offensive line. They got one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country. Quarterback room is in excellent shape, especially since they kept Malik Murphy. You just saw on the screen there, they are the odds-on favorite to win the Big 12 this year, where I have to hit the pause button. Because just as sure as I touched on this 90 seconds ago, I am going to again hear somebody say, oh, they're the favorite, huh? Well, you know what history says about Texas being the favorite. We just went over this, didn't we? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to recycle old thoughts. We just went over this. They're the favorite this year, and they should be the favorite this year because Texas looks like the best team preseason in the Big 12, and that's how odds work. So week two is going to be a pivot point for them. Again, they get to load up on food in week one. Actually, JT Daniels is going to serve food to Texas in week one. Because JT Daniels is the quarterback at Rice. And so Rice and JT Daniels are on the plate in week one. I expect Texas to win. Week two, they're at Alabama. Just like last year, different venue, but just like last year, that's going to be the game everyone circles. Unlike last year, the point spread will not be three touchdowns. And unlike last year, People will look at Texas as having the quarterback advantage in the game and the wide receiver room advantage in the game. I look at it that way right now. Uh, that will be one that will not be for the faint of heart, and that will be one that I am pretty well sure we will be at in week two. Not to, you know, not to just give away the tour destinations this year before we even name the tour, but yeah, you'd be hard pressed to find us anywhere other than Tuscaloosa, Alabama in week two. Now Bama will still be a point spread favorite, single digits, I expect, but a point spread favorite. And if they win, especially a close competitive game, has no bearing on Texas the rest of the year. It's a non-conference game. You get to feel out where they are. But this is a big one, immunity. Do you know what the world is like if Texas beats Alabama in week two? And if you're less than 20 years old, your answer is no. You've never experienced real Texas hype. You've experienced some cotton candy, Red Bull, sugar high Texas hype, some hollow Texas hype, but you have never experienced full-blown national championship contender for the first time in a long time, Texas hype. You've heard about Texas fight. It pales in comparison to Texas hype. If Texas were to beat Bama in week two, uh, first off, I can pretty much guarantee you they'd be tied with Wyoming at halftime the next week. 
before they eventually pulled away. But if Texas beats Bama in week two, you think you've seen hype. You have never seen hype. If they go in there and Quinn Ewers outduels whomst ever Alabama throws out there, if they carve up that Bama secondary, which I think will be one of the best in the country, if they take Bama down in their own building and then they enter Big 12 conference play undefeated, oh, the hype. It would be a beautiful thing selfishly for us. Oh, the hype. Now, Jesse did come to me today, and unlike Oklahoma State, which somehow avoids like every good team in the Big 12, Texas, in terms of preseason odds now, Texas plays the number two team, the number three team, the number four team, the number five team, and the number six team, because they're the number one team in terms of odds. And three of those four games are in November. They go K-State, at TCU, and they got Texas Tech at the end. And by the way, the team that's not one of the top six is at Iowa State, and that's the second leg of a back-to-back road stretch. It's not an easy schedule. I know some of you love to dunk on the Big 12 strength of schedule. We spoke about this last year, and if I have to have this conversation with you again, I'll do it closer to the season. This is not an easy schedule, but Texas is a very good team, or at least I think they'll be. I pause because I myself, even though we haven't gone off the air yet, I'm just imagining. I'm just imagining the world where where Texas 34, Bama 30. I'm imagining what that world would be like. Um, I can't. I really can't. I have experienced Texas hype, but that was, you know, that was that was several years ago. Really, in this era, and in the way media operates today. And the way the social elements have been infused today, we really haven't seen legitimate Texas championship contention in this this very new media era. So when it happens, I did not say if, when it happens this year or in the coming years, it's like that scene in Deep Impact. The asteroid hits several miles out into the Atlantic, and then there's just this wave that's like, 500 feet high that just engulfs Manhattan. Um, I would even suggest that Texas hype would be a little bit larger than that. Whenever it finally hits, you won't have to ask, Mom, is this Texas hype? You'll just, because you'll, you'll drown in it. That's what Texas hype's really like. I thank you guys so much for being tuned into the show tonight. If you haven't already, and hear me when I say this, there's only one thing we need you to do. And that is, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on podcast, subscribe to the feed. And you may think there's something else. Nope, nothing else. That's it. You've made this show a massive success. And because of that, we get to do all sorts of things that we never thought we'd be able to do. So thank you for that. No off-season. We'll keep it rolling. Or I'm going to acknowledge him because he jumped over a sofa today. For Junior Director Bradley, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. We'll see you back here Sunday night. And until then, God bless.